There we go. Uh, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Film Fund Podcast. I'm your host, founder, and executive producer at the Film Fund, Thomas Verity. I'm also an award-winning filmmaker, producer, and film festival judge. I started the Film Fund to give filmmakers an easier, alternative way to get their films funded. Instead of working on a screenplay, crowdfunding campaign, or grant application, you write one sentence pitching your film for a chance to receive up to $10,000 and other prizes to make it. Our spring 2022 narrative funding narrative and documentary funding contests are now closed. Thank you, everyone, for entering. Uh, we just released the winners, so check them out on our social media and our blog soon and our email newsletter. But more importantly, we're opening again for entries in just a couple of weeks. When you listen to this episode, we may be open for entries if you're listening at a later date. Check us out at thefilmfund.co to enter your one-sentence pitch for a chance to win up to $10,000 to make your film. And we want to remind listeners that contests do happen regularly. So again, if you're listening at a later date, check the website at thefilmfund.co for the most up-to-date information. Today, we have Travis Beard on the show. Travis is a filmmaker making a documentary on North Korea, which is super exciting. He was one of our previous winners from a while back, and we're super excited to have him on the show. Um, Travis, where are you joining us from today? I know you're all over the globe <laughs> when we're, we're emailing, traveling, working on the film. Uh, I'm currently in Australia. I'm currently in Melbourne, but I, Australia, but I live in okay. Sydney, yeah. Okay, very cool. Again, thanks so much for joining. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, well, first of all, I want to say, Thomas, nice to meet you because your face is not on your website and it's good to see the man behind the machine. It is on, it's, it is on the judges page. Oh, is you it? To click around I've never bit. got to the yeah. judges page. I do apologize. <laughs> but anyway, it's good to see your face. No worries. Um, Thank you. You as well. Just a really quick uh, background. I am a self-taught uh, filmmaker. I uh, never studied filmmaking. Uh, actually studied photography. And out of necessity, I started making films. And I think the best way to learn how to make films is to actually make them rather than just to study. Not saying that kids shouldn't go to university. I'm not saying they shouldn't study. I'm not here to say (laughs) that. But the best way to learn through mistakes and trial and error is to make films. So I made my first film while living in Afghanistan. um, And I got myself into the film industry that way. And uh, I've been making films ever since. Um, So that's kind of how I got into the industry. What brought you to Afghanistan? I was there first as a journalist in 2001. Uh, Americans were coming in from the northeast and I came in from the southwest mm. um, and reported on the refugee exodus and got what we now refer to as the Afghan bug, which is like an itch oh, wow. sensation that you get from going to such an exotic place like Afghanistan. And I fell in love with the country, mm. uh, found a way to move back there and, and end up living there for seven years. And, uh, Oh, wow. I technically still have the Afghan bug because I'm still making films about that uh, beloved <laughs> but cursed country. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, it's another so podcast, basically. You f- <laughs> What's that? It's another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, so what are some of the highlights about your work? Do you generally find your surroundings influence what you like to tell stories about? I mean, yeah. For me, I don't find the stories. The stories find me um, because I travel a lot um, and you meet a lot of people and it's all about people, basically. Um, you just bump into things and you find them. Um, I, I don't think I've ever written a script or pitched a, a film idea without having something already in, in, in the making. And that's just the way it is in my world. Some people can conceive things and then go off and chase it. Um, I just find things and go, hey, that looks cool. Let's make a film out of it. And that's just the way uh, 
my creative process works and and it seems to work so i'm going to keep doing that mm -hmm. and now do you solely do documentary work or do you do narrative as well uh no solely do documentary unfortunately i'm really crap at narrative um the, the occasional bread <laughs> and butter um i might jump on a crew for something like that but uh, my own creative process no but in the mm -hmm. music world because i also make music i guess that more is more um oh cool is more narrative and, 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 and less of the, uh, the the documentary side. But I mean, look, that, yeah, another podcast in itself. Mm -hmm. But in, in the film world, I stick to... Yeah, I, try I was, to I was about to say that too. We got lots of podcasts. <laughs> too many podcasts. Um, but I try to stick to documentary and, and do that as best as yeah. I can. Mm -hmm. Very cool. And um, what are, I guess, some of the, the highlights about your documentary work or some things you usually like to focus on? I mean, the human Once condition the story finds you um, and, and the challenges of living in, in, in this world we live in um, and particularly being the underdog. Um, and that comes from living in what someone, some people used to call the, uh, the third world now not use that. Um, we could call it the developing world. We can't use that now. I've people heard, I've heard people call it the global South. I don't really get that term because I'm, in Australia, we are in the South, but we're not part of the global South. Yeah. Um, so the emerging democracy mm. is the new term. I haven't I've heard been... that one. I've heard the developing world, but... Yeah, now, even that's okay. not kosher anymore. Um, but the new one is um, the emerging democracies. Um, so people who are aspiring to okay. be democracies. They are the so-called underdogs, gotcha. the countries that are trying to get up with uh, what you would in the past call the first world, which we're not allowed to call that anymore. And so those countries that are trying to sort of get their head above the water, um, and particularly that is a lot in uh, Asia and the Middle East, obviously South America and Africa, mm -hmm. but I don't have a lot of experience in those two continents. Um, and I particularly like to stick to areas that I have experience. So the Muslim world, I actually have a lot of experience in. Um, and yeah, that's just where I, I sort of, uh, I do my dance, as we might call it. Mm-hmm. So you were in Afghanistan for you said seven years? Yes. Long time. So what what brought you and did you do a documentary about um that as well, you said? Yeah, so my first documentary, my sort of baptism of fire was a documentary about Afghanistan's first heavy metal band. Um and the film was called Rockable. <laughs> heavy metal band, that's so cool. Okay. Yeah, and they they were the first and technically the last in that era. So we had this little uh, period in in the occupation slash liberation of Afghanistan by the Americans in the West. We had this little period of about sort of five or six years where rock, metal, hip hop, and sort of other alternate genres kind of had a bit of a a thriving kind of scene. Very small scene. We're talking about less than sort of fifteen bands and maybe half a dozen venues, but in okay. Kabul, there was this scene going on, which was reminiscent of maybe the punk era of the 1970s, and it was thriving. It really was. And I was lucky enough to be there. I was part of that music scene because I'm a musician, and I just happened to have a camera, mm -hmm. and I started recording, and five years later, I had a documentary that toured the world and, and did quite well for a debut in the industry. I love that. So you were you were just there in part of that scene yeah. and you just decided to capture it. Well, I mean, I was a, I was a musician on Did stage and my band 
had the best equipment out of any bands in the scene. So when the Afghan bands wanted to play, they'd say, oh, can we borrow your amplifier? Can we borrow your guitar? And we're like, yeah, sure. So we'd, we'd share our equipment. And there was one band in particular, District Unknown, that were te- were in in practice the first heavy metal band in Afghanistan, and they were terrible. And so we mentored them, we gave them instruments, mm-hmm. we gave them a practice space. And on that first day of their first uh, session in that practice room, I just grabbed my camera and just filmed. And I didn't have a film idea in the making. I wow. was just like, okay, well, they're in That's my studio. I, I should yeah. document it. Yeah, it's just uh, mm-hmm. what you do as a filmmaker, you just press record. And, you know, that first day was interesting. The music was terrible. But there was something in those characters that was engaging. And so I kept following them. And uh, I followed them through their whole kind of evolution and lifespan and um, just happened to encapsulate a little sort of vignette of time in, in, a, in, a, in a sort of emerging democracy, a youth sort of movement that was kind of burgeoning in, 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 a, in a new country and it sort of captured a, a very special window in time that now doesn't exist, obviously with the change of government and the new uh, powers that be, that music scene has, has, has disappeared and pretty much all the musicians have also had to leave the country. So it's now something of the past. Wow. Now, is that a, a feature doc or a short? No, it's a feature doc, 90 minutes exactly, um, depending on which version you okay. watch. Um, and it's out there on you know the channels and so forth. But, I mean, that came out in 2018, so it's had its life. Although it is screening mm-hmm. in Brazil at the edit in Edit Film Festival this, uh, this year. So oh, nice. it's actually still getting film screenings uh, at film festivals mm-hmm. four years later. So it's got some you know, sort of uh, yeah. place in, in in history, I guess, which is good. Yeah, definitely. Um, and what's the name of it again? Rock Kabul. R-O-C-K-A-B-U-L. Rock Kabul. Okay. Definitely check that out. That sounds super yeah. interesting. Good. And uh, I'm looking at your, uh, your that pitch f- that you... Okay, yeah, def- definitely Google that. Uh, I'm looking at your pitch from for the film fund, and I'm realizing this was submitted what did in 2019. I write? <laughs> Do you exactly. want to read it? What did I write back in those days? Okay. Yeah, tell me what I say. We yeah, it was 2019. It was before COVID, before everything. It's crazy. This has been such a wild yeah. ride. You know, we we still funded films through COVID and just put them on hold. But anyway, you wrote um, capture behind the scenes organization and the celebration of North Korea's 75th communist anniversary in October 2020, allowing our crew to return to Pyongyang with access already granted by DPRK. And then we just saw that and we're like, Very That's ambitious. Wild. Like, the audacity <laughs> of someone to, to go into North Korea and, like, document their communist anniversary. I was thinking of that movie with, um, with like, James Franco and... Uh, I mean, it's comedy, obviously. Um, oh my God, what's the other guy's name? Yeah, the interview. Seth Rogen. Yeah, I was actually like, watching it recently. The interview. It's, actually, it's quite a good film. I've, yeah. I have to watch it again, but it's just like this is nuts, and like for and this is so cool. Um, so we, you know, there's so much conflict here with everything, you know, in pop culture about North Korea. We hear about the secrecy, and you know, the, the, the we don't really know <laughs> too much about what goes on there. So just to get a glimpse into that, and the fact that you already have um, access there, you know, granted by DPRK, is that the government there? Yes. I'm, so I'm very the, ignorant when it comes to... Democratic Republic of uh, North Korea. 
Okay, that's weird to look that one up, but that's what we. Demo- that's what I assume. DPR, the, the, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, DPRK. Okay. And then um, the yeah. the funding use there was, you know, uh, capturing behind the scenes and allowing our crew to return. Uh, so very very interesting. Um, you know, we're, obviously the, the funding went to allowing the crew to return there, uh, the crew costs. So how did you come up with this idea? What what sparked your interest in this project? Well, the, the first thing I want to say is that when I, when I got told about your website and this, you know, criteria of two sentences or whatever it was, 120 characters to get some money for a film, I just thought it was a joke. But clearly it wasn't <laughs> a joke because I threw it into the mix and I got the money. So it was a fantastic kind of initiative. And I just, I really just didn't understand how easy it was and, and how brilliant that the, 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 um, the model is. And so I was actually on my, yeah, no, no, full, full uh, props to you for it. It's great. It's a great thing. And, and I'll get deeper into that later on when we talk about where we are now with the film. But for now, let's sure. talk about trying to make the film. Mm-hmm. So I was in the process of, of touring the film Rockable. So it was going around the world. And I was sometimes invited to these film festivals to, um, you know, do the Q&As and all that kind of jazz. Great stuff. Good fun. Um and as we were going through these um, film festivals, I just went, I'm just going to start applying for some more film festivals and just see what we get, right? You know, you mm-hmm. can't lose, really. And I saw that there was a film festival in Pinyonyang, the Pinyonyang International Film Festival. And I'm like, what the hell? I'm going to apply just for, you know, excuse my friend, shits and giggles and see what happens, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And didn't hear anything for months. And all of a sudden, I get this email, this really weird, like, Google Translate English email from Core Film. Now, Core Film is the Korean film uh, company that is the only company that does film in, in North Korea. And they run not just the festival, but all collaborations between filmmakers outside the country and, and, the, and the government. And they are kind of the institution of all film. And they sent me a, uh, an email saying, um, we would like you to come to our film festival. And I was like, wow, that's great. I mean, I'm going to go screen my film in North Korea. How rock and roll can it get, right? Right. And so we had a whole bunch of emails back and forth. And every time I'm getting these emails, it's really Google Translate English. It's really bad. And I'm trying to sort of read between the lines because I know it's North Korea. And you've Mm -hmm. got to be skeptical. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, look, the the door's open. It could be possible. But, you know, it was all very cryptic because you've got to – understand there's also logistics involved of how to get to North Korea mm-hmm. visas and all this stuff and it's, it's it's not it's not straightforward and at one point they told me uh, I think maybe the 10th email in they're like look uh, unfortunately your film has been deselected from the film festival for whatever reasons it was mm-hmm. uh, maybe the film was not deemed appropriate for North Korean standards but we still want to invite you to the film festival and that's why I got really suspicious. I was yeah. like, this is a bit weird. Now, you're not going to show my film, but you still want me to come as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And I, at that point, I, I asked my girlfriend and I asked my producer, and I said, what should I do? And they're like, well, do you feel like it's legitimate? I said, well, as legitimate as it gets from North Korea. Um, and so I accepted the invitation. And in sort of a, a leap of faith, I bought a ticket to China. 
because you have to go via China or Russia to get into North Korea. There's no direct flights from Australia. <laughs> um, I don't think there's many direct flights from anywhere to North yeah. Korea. Um, so <laughs> I, bought a, I bought a ticket to uh, China and I got a Chinese visa. And then once you're in China, you apply for this North Korean visa. Now, I didn't tell the Australians that I was going to North Korea. I kept it all very hush-hush. I didn't tell many people I was going to North Korea. I think about maybe three or four people knew I was going. I kept it quiet because I was a little bit sort of cautious that maybe someone would kind of track me. Anyway, so I got to got to Beijing and went to the North Korean embassy and, you know, knock on the door and go inside. And they knew exactly who I was. They're like, yes, Mr. Beard, you're here. Hmm. Yes, you're going to the film festival. Uh, sit down here, fill out this form, pay this amount of money and, you know, come back tomorrow and pick up your visa. It was all very, very um, systematic and, and very straightforward. Hmm. There was no questions. There was no um, sort of uh, scrupulation of it all. Next day, I came back, got my visa bought my ticket, my plane ticket on North Korean Airlines, um, and that was it. I'm flying to North Korea. That's wild. No idea what to find. <laughs> um, but I did have a camera. They let you, had a camera. You bring a that camera. was the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And, well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I had asked, I had a friend who worked for a tour company for North Korea, mm-hmm. and I'd asked him what to expect and he said, look, you know, you know, take a camera. Worst thing they can do is tell you not to film things. So you just take a camera. I'm a filmmaker. You can't not right. take a camera, right? Um, so I, I arrive, and I'm part of this film festival junket, as we call it. And I think there was probably about 15, 16 other filmmakers there. All of them were showing their film. I was the only one who wasn't hmm. showing my film. So I was like That's this so weird. <laughs> third wheel, fourth wheel, fifth yeah. wheel. I was just, it was really weird. I don't know why. Well, I don't know. Anyway, but the good thing was is because I wasn't showing the film and I wasn't having to do sort of press meetings and film screenings and Q&As, I was more free. So I had more time in my hands to film. Mm-hmm. Now, in North Korea, you don't have freedom. You have not one but two guides or minders or guards or whatever you want to call them with you 24-7. Basically, they're wherever you go, besides your hotel room. But I presume my hotel room was bugged, so they're basically there anyway. Um, So when you go outside of the hotel room, they meet you in the foyer. When you go to Destination A, they go with you. When you go to the toilet while at Destination A, they go to the toilet with you. Um, they're just with you the whole time. And I think they have two of them so that one can have a okay. break while the other <laughs> one's with you because it's quite yeah. intense spending the whole day with someone. And I was there for 12 days. So 12 days with two people constantly every single day mm. is quite an intense experience. Did um, they pay for your hotel? But that's what got me to uh, North Korea. Now, when I, they did. So the whole thing was kind of yeah. taken care of. There's only one hotel one real hotel in, in North Korea that hosts okay. all the foreigners. Now, those foreigners were part of the film junket, but there was also um, foreigners that were there as, you know, tour, tour guides, um, you know, they're on tours with different tour companies. So you'd see other foreigners passing in, in the foyer, and you'd see that some Americans and some are, you know, from other countries, but you didn't really talk to them too much because most of the times your guides were sort of ushering you along to your next meeting or your next appointment mm. and so stuff. So, so it was all very much, you know, ships in the night. 
But at night time, you could go for having a drink at the bar, and that's where you'd meet up with the other foreigners as you mm. exchange stories and so forth. Um, but being the, the sort of adventurous filmmaker I am by heart, I thought I could make a film in the 12 days I was in, mm. in North Korea. I, I had the yeah. gumption, the, the, the sort of, you know, the veracity to say, oh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slam out a film in mm. these 12 days for you guys. Come home, get it edited, smash it out, and, you know, it enter into film festivals. Now, I was clearly mm. wrong. I was very wrong. But I did film a lot. So it wasn't a lack of filming that I didn't have. it. But the, the, the thing was I didn't capture was the film that yeah. I thought I was going to get. And this is what this is where it gets kind of interesting because the concept of the film I actually have for you is a concept about what it is to okay. make films in North Korea. And this is the question. Quick that we sidebar. Are the, uh, um, I know we funded the... So, and I'm sorry, I'm, there's a little I'm delay there. I just wanted to ask before I forget, the, the camera that we funded for you, is that the camera you brought on the that trip that you were talking about? Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I had two cameras. I had the camera, which was the official big camera that was mm. great, great for interviews, but I also took a te- second camera, which is one of these little... DJI Osmo kind of gimbal uh-huh. okay. 4K handheld pocket things. And the great the great thing about yeah. it is it's 4K. It looks great. Right. But it looks like a toy. And I saw other guys there with cameras and they pull it out and North Koreans would go, oh, that's a bit big mm-hmm. and oh, it's a bit imposing and you shouldn't be to- pointing that at this statue and that monument. And I pull out this little toy of a, of a 4K um, DJI Osmo thing and they thought I was just yeah. like playing around, but I was also capturing That's really great. quite high quality footage. It, it's not production wise the best, but in a, in a country like North Korea, mm-hmm. fantastic camera to use. And and for anyone out there listening who has a more um, sort of underground situation where they need to film something a little bit more low key, this camera is oh, fantastic enough. for that um, because it just mm-hmm. doesn't look like a real camera. Um, so I was I was mixing up both cameras when I was doing interviews. I was using my big camera. And when I was out in the field, which was most of the time where you get the interesting stuff. And the bigger stuff, camera was, was the, the Black Magic. Um, and so, yeah, which is a fantastic camera. I think it has the best interface of any camera I've ever used because it's just so, it just has the buttons mm. or the menu that you need to get the, um, you know, the presets you want. And that's it. The negative of the Black Magic is it has this ridiculously mm. huge file size. Even when you're in the sort of lowest of the ProRes uh, kind yeah. of 4K versions, it's still ridiculously high. So the unfortunate thing is your processing is heavy and your your storage yeah. is heavy. But I besides love that, I, I we, love the um, camera. It's just you know when you press onto a menu in, in let's say Sony or mm. Canon. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> There's like a like a slight delay. And you've got to yeah. got to go into all these sub menus, and it just. And it just takes forever to find the thing you want. Black Magic, you just go one, two, and you yeah, find we it. Yeah, have and uh, you Expressway Cinema Rentals sometimes sponsors um, an equipment rental prize that includes a Black Magic Ursa Mini G2. And then I have the <laughs> – actually, over the pandemic, we were doing this YouTube series called High Concept. And I was filming that on the original, like, 1080p version, the first Black Magic Pocket. And it still worked fine. I mean, the production quality wasn't the best. You can see it on YouTube. Um, literally, we just filmed in a little basement studio, but – I love black magic. It's so simple, easy to use, straightforward. Um, and it just feels good in your hand too. Like the form, but I haven't, I haven't shot with the newer ones, like the six K, which is, I think, did you shoot on this? Yeah. Did we fund the, the, I don't remember. I know we did it over email. Was it the six K? Yeah. The six K okay. one. I mean, I, sh- 
I, I bought the 6K one. I, I only shot in 4K because it was like, what am I going to do with right. 6K? I mean, yeah. it's like, what, what do you do with that? Yeah, I was on, you know? I was on anyway, set the other it's day. It's a fantastic and he camera. was like, oh, are we okay to shoot in 4K instead of 6K? And I'm thinking like, what am I going to do with 6K? Like, yeah, <laughs> yes, 4K is fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah, it's another world. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm shooting away. I'm having a great time. Um, ex- you know, experiencing this new and almost un-sort of paralleled uh, universe. I mean, the DPRK or the North Korea is is like nowhere else in the world. And I've been to a lot of countries, and I've been to other what you might call communist countries, and it doesn't parallel. I mean, it's just another world. Um, now, saying that, I was on a film junket, and I was on what pretty much everyone else. Uh, whoever goes to the DPRK, DPRK as a foreigner experiences. You get put on a, a Ferris wheel or a merry-go-round and you go around like this and you get to see all the sites that you're meant right. to see, the monuments meant to see, you get to, you get to see the kids doing the somersaults that are meant to be doing. Um, you get to see the statues you're meant to see and, and, and pay respects in the, in the right way. And that's pretty much it. And I thought being the sort of savvy streetwise filmmaker I was that I could find the other side of North Korea. And it doesn't happen. Mm. I mean, just let's not kid anyone. If you try and do that, you're going to get yourself in trouble. And there was that one guy who stole the flag on the 14th floor of the same hotel I was staying in and was locked up for how many of years, right? So the kids out there just advise you, if you ever (laughs) go to North Korea, just stick by the rules. It's not worth the risk. Really, it's not. And so this is what our film actually came out, uh, sort of evolved into be. So I am questioning basically the films that have been made for the last let's say 50 years in in north korea because the thing about north korea is that they have their state-owned television that they feed out to the Mm. world right and you know news agencies pick it up and then they report north korea is testing a a missile and we see north korean footage north korea's had its first case of covid and we see north korean footage so besides that the only other information we get from North Korea is from filmmakers, right, who go in. And there's been some very good films made about North Korea, and I've learned pretty much all I know about North Korea from those films. But what I question is now, since I've been to North Korea, is are they actually documentaries? Because the definition of a documentary is an objective view of the situation. This is clearly through a lens that the government wants you to see. But if your situation is totally controlled, and I mean 99.9% controlled by the government that is hosting you, mm. then it's not objective, right? Now, there is the occasional scene in an occasional film where they capture someone off guard doing something, right? And that's their mm. one piece of gold that they go, oh, this is the proof that the North Koreans are doing X, Y, and Z. Now, I'm not saying they're not doing X, Y, and Z, but that one piece of gold is not mm-hmm. enough to call the rest of the film a documentary, right? Yeah. Because the rest of it was all set up for you. The people walked into the shop for you. The people set a script when they talked yep. to you in that interview and everything else was staged. And I guarantee you, it, it is. And so we, I started to, and, and when we got back to Australia, we started to question, well, what did we have in our hands? What was the footage we had? What was it actually really worth? Was it documentary worthy or was it just a bunch of, you know, B-roll that everyone else had been picked up on the mm. last 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years of their 
um, experiences. And so what we've now, and it's kind of a little bit boring, but it's, I think it's necessary. Okay. We've kind of turned this into a, an essay film where we actually talk about the theory of documentary making, which is very easy to do in America and Australia and, and, and the so-called West. But mm, what is documentary making in a very pure dictatorship? <laughs> and it's a hard one. Yeah. Well, it, it doesn't look. The, the visuals are fantastic. I got some really great shots, um, but I mean, we have to explain okay. it through you know narration. That's why I say it's a little bit boring because we don't capture this mm -hmm. in interviews. Now we interviewed three filmmakers in the country who were there either filming a, a film, pitching right. a film to Core Film, that company that runs all the industry or um, people who were screening mm -hmm. films at the film festival. So people who were involved in North Korea. Um, and we asked them these questions. How is it making a film in North Korea? So we have them mm -hmm. talking on camera, but they right. believe right, that right. they're in the system, you know, making a, a documentary or a feature film. So they're not going to answer that. So we kind of had to have these uh, assumptions and these conclusions come out in in the, um, mm -hmm. in the in the sort of post-production of it. And, and honestly, in my 12 days in North Korea, I really didn't know what was going on because I was inside the, mm -hmm. the wormhole, as we call it. And I sit in my uh, hotel room every night with my <laughs> camera doing, you know, video diaries, trying While to figure out what was going on. Hotel, right? At the yeah. same time, I'm pretty sure they're <laughs> listening in the microphone yeah, because there's a, there's a microphone in the lamp at the same time. So I'm trying to sort of, you know, share my thoughts and, 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 and also self-censor, which is also right. is not documentary, right? And so there's a whole sort of um, dissection that had to be sort of done in the post. So once I got back to Australia and I watched all the footage and I talked to my producer, I'm like, well, what do we have here? Um, <clears throat> so we got to that point and we had all this footage and we had the hard drives and we had the concept and we had a concept note and we, we did a, a rough you know, sort of concept trailer. And then I went to what we would consider the Australian film funding bodies. Now, I won't mention particularly who they are because um, <laughs> I don't want to sort of shoot myself in the foot. But the way it works in Australia is you, 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 you write a concept note, you fill out some forms, you, you submit your concept trailer. And if you're already in relationships with these people in these film government film funding bodies, you can write to them personally and say, hey, Michael, here's my film idea. What do you think about this before I press submit mm -hmm. on the actual form, right? So I wrote to Michael. That's not his real name. And I said, uh, Michael, I've got this idea. I just came back from North Korea. Da, 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 da. Um, what do you think? And he wrote back to me and said, mm -hmm. let's meet tomorrow for coffee. And I was like, oh, great. You know, Michael wants to talk more about the film. So we go for coffee and he sits down. He's got this very straight face. And he says, um, Travis, I deleted your email and I need you to delete the email. I can't continue this conversation anymore. We can't oh, wow. fund films about North Korea and I cannot continue to discuss this anymore. Thank you. And that was it. I was like cut off. And it was a very nice way. He didn't do that in, a, in an aggressive way. It was just like, mm. we just can't continue this conversation. The Australian government can't be seen funding films that question, you know, A, North Korea, B, the Western representation of North Korea and, mm -hmm. and C, you know, us funding that as a film. So yeah. I kind of just got a hit of brick wall. Um, and, and, and this is, this is where we get into the really kind of 
if you want to talk about filmmaking and the nitty gritty, um, making films about North Korea, unless you already mm-hmm. have the funding in place, is really difficult. Now, this all happened over the, the, the pandemic period. And I, I probably forgot to mention early on that I went to North Korea in September 2019. Now, we all know that the pandemic kind of started in October 2019. North Korea closed mm-hmm. its borders in January 2020. Right? So three months wow. after I went there. North Korea still wow. has not opened its borders to date. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about two plus years, right? I couldn't go back to North Korea to document right. that 75th anniversary <laughs> that I intended yeah. to because the world was in lockdown. I, could, I couldn't get my film funded because the Australian government, oh, person non grata, uh, DPRK, North Korea, mm. too hot to handle, go away. Um, and so now I've been sitting on this little sort of, you know, ticking time bomb since Mm -hmm. let's say, you know, the start of 2020 and I'm still trying to figure out how to finish it. I have the film, I have a rough cut. I've made the rough cut. Um, I've had a narrator come in and narrate this concept that I just shared with Mm you. Um, and it's about 12 minutes Mm -hmm. long. We could probably shave that down to nine minutes to make it snappier. But I'm also having trouble right. finding an editor that wants to work on it because I don't have the funding because I can't get mm-hmm. you know, a screen body that we would normally go to in Australia to put behind it. So I'm kind yeah. of trying to now figure out a, an independent way to finish film. And, and luckily with t- today's software mm. and, and, and sort of the technology, you can finish a film by yourself in a sense at home. Um, I would love to do it properly. I would love to put the full post-production you know, power behind this film yeah. and, and give it what it deserves, but I just don't have the funding to do it. And so it's a, it's a bit of an unfortunate thing, but um, mm-hmm. I will find a way and I will finish this film. I just haven't got there yet. Um, and I strongly believe that this question needs to be asked because the other thing about filmmakers, all us documentary filmmakers, we actually mm-hmm. have a lot of power in our hand to change public opinion whatever the subject matter be. But with North Korea, mm-hmm. it's even more powerful because there's not a lot of information. And the only information we get is from mm-hmm. their own news feed, which we know is tainted by their own policy. So if we don't start asking the hard questions in these documentaries, instead of just following the junket or the tour wagon that they take us yeah. on, then we're going to keep no, I producing think it's an important the same narrative about North Korea. I'm not pro-North Korean. I'm not anti-North mm. Korean. I think we just need to ask deeper questions rather than just go, hey, I went to North Korea. Yeah. It was really and we, good. You know, it was we were really super bad. happy to fund the, uh, the equipment to get you the footage you needed. Hopefully we can we can figure out how to get it across the finish line soon. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely... Sorry, go ahead. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean... No, I'm just saying that, I mean, um, it's one of those things where you you want to finish the film, mm-hmm. you want to do it justice because you've spent so much time on it, but at the same time, you don't want to just rush it out there for the sake of it. Because I could, I could probably cut that uh, that rough cut into nine minutes and put it into a film mm-hmm. festival and it'd get picked up just because it's North Korea. Because honestly, nothing's come out of North Korea for the last two years. But I think the film deserves a bit more... Um, bit more time mm-hmm. and a little bit more attention to detail in the post-production so 
I'm going to try my best to get <laughs> it done good. by the end of this year. I promise, Thomas, I'm going to give you something to, to add to your collection. Yep. I'm not going to we'll, – we'll get there. Yeah. Uh, it's just a matter of finding that totally, right totally platform to sort um, of launch it off. Yeah, we're, we just want to – we're excited to see what you've got, and we can't wait to share it once it gets finished. So best of luck finishing it, getting it across the finish line. Um, now, just talking about your career um, again, I mean, we could talk about the North Korean film all day. Um, Thank you. Which I would love to do maybe another time. But just in terms of your career, um, do you are you a full time filmmaker? Is this your main job? Well, yeah. I mean, I I call my uh, my partner the patron and the music too. Yeah, my my partner is a patron of the arts. She okay. uh, she works very hard to okay. make it so I can actually have a an artistic career where I don't have another job. Um, we also have a child, so I'm a I'm a I'm a daddy gotcha. uh, daycare uh, you know father looking after the child but I mean mm. it is my only job um, and as an independent filmmaker um, the the service that you provide this is why I wanted to come back to this as I said early on when I went to these film bodies that I already have relationships with and said I've got a film about North Korea they went eh. I also have another film about Afghanistan and they can fund that because Afghanistan's not as sort of you know as, as risque, but no, your film uh, fund, yeah. <laughs> your, your film fund is, is, is key and essential for people like me that have these kind of more, let's say off the cuff and not so mainstream ideas. And these little seed funds that you can give can actually make these films come to life. And I think it's really important. And, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I strongly believe in, uh, in what you've, what you've created. And, and I actually don't understand why it didn't happen earlier and it's not happening in more places in the world because it's a brilliant idea. The, the, the amount of paperwork, red tape, and, and bureaucracy involved in getting even small amounts of funding from our government bodies is, is phenomenal, whereas you have a system where you just mm-hmm. need to come up with two great sentences for an idea for a film, and you one give sentence. it... Uh, one sentence, yeah. One good sentence. Um, you give a significant amount of money. I, I, I think it's fantastic. Um, and I strongly advocate for people to, to, to keep uh, submitting to your, to your platform because I think uh, there should be more initiatives like that and less initiatives where we have these elongated processes. Because it's not just about mm-hmm. getting the funding from the filming body. You also have to tick boxes throughout the funding process to get your funding released. You yep. know, it's, it's quite a process. Whereas with you guys, it was, was here's your yeah. money, go and make your film and let's do a podcast in six months. And I think that's fantastic. <laughs> but you, in my you, case, Travis, it was actually, and, you know, you're, you're preaching to the choir here. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. <laughs> COVID, you know, we can, we can make some exceptions because of COVID and North Korea. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I was yeah. going through that, that red tape, I, I submitted to a grant um, or applied to a grant at uh, my college. And it, and I was actually, first I went through this really long, if you listen to the podcast or you read the blog post or read the you know copy on the website, it sucks like going through those grant applications. It's awesome that, you, that grants exist and they make this funding available, but the, to, the process of getting it can be so convoluted. Like I made a 20 page grant application for this school grant, met with a grant committee, they said, um, you know, this is looking really good. I'm not supposed to tell you this really, but you're, you're likely going to get this grant. And I was like, oh my God, that's awesome. And I didn't get it after spending like so many hours on that application, meeting with the committee, didn't get it. And then I actually received another grant from the school that like a professor recommended me for. And I got that one. I was like, oh, this is awesome. Like, you know, I didn't get the other one, but I got this one. I can make my film now. 
And like you were saying, even when you get that funding, there's so many boxes you have to check. They wanted every, um, every person on the crew to like sign an agreement with the school because it, the funding was going through the school and it was just, there was so much red tape involved. Um, I was like, is this even worth it at the time? So I, I, you know, ended up going with other funding for that project, but it's just so convoluted. So the process of trying to raise funding for a short film in particular too, uh, is just like, no one wants to fund shorts really because they don't make money at the end of the day. Um, and, exactly. But they're important. So that's, that's why, I came up with this. I was, I was in school. I was in an entrepreneurship course. I was like, all right, I need to come up with an idea for a company trying to fund a film. Uh, but I try, try to make the process of funding films easier. And that's, that's where it all came from. So I, I appreciate that you, uh, you find value in that idea. It really means a lot to me. Well, I mean, look, you know, I'm proof of the so with, I mean, I would have, I would yeah. not have been able to make this film without that fund. And, you know, yeah, I mean, going to North Korea is certainly a, uh, you know, uh, an appealing, pitch but you know you still need the tools and the tools cost money and so it works it mm -hmm. worked out very well yeah and we're happy to do so it's so so excited i'm gonna hold you to the end of the year <laughs> to see it um what uh my next question on the list is yeah, yeah we yeah um my next question on the list is what are some of the major challenges of making a film in north korea but we already went through that um so my, we could talk about that all day, I'm sure. But my next question is, um, what are your thoughts on film festivals? I know you said you, you have some experience, you know, touring, um, the previous doc, you know, globally. Um, could you talk about that experience a little bit? Yeah, well, I think importantly, um, there's what I did with my previous film in 2018 and there's now, because when I was, um, screening that film it's pre-pandemic and and the film industry particularly film festivals was was the model that it's been for many years it's been the sort of showcase of what's going to be hot for that year um and you know you, it's a great way to get your films out there to the to the platforms and to the audience but now it's changed now with the the, the covid the lockdown the pandemic and the obviously streaming platforms that have taken over the world film festivals don't have the gravitas and the sort of punch that they had back in the day. And I, and I know that they're doing their best to, to still be the showcase, but they just, they're just not able to because of so many logistical parameters involved. Um, and so I'm not saying that people shouldn't be in film festivals, but the idea, like when, when I screened my first film, I think I went to maybe... 12 or 13 film festivals in Europe, America and Asia. And, you know, mm -hmm. there was even some red carpets and black carpets in there where it was quite fancy and fun. And I just don't see that sort of, um, uh, you know, experience being so easy now as it was mm -hmm. back then, um, just because of logistics. So travel is harder. Um, mm -hmm. And film festivals, a lot of them are doing online or they have done online for the last couple of years because of the lockdown. Um, and so it's hard. It's really hard. Film festivals are, um, are always going to be competitive, but I think they're going to be even more competitive now. Um, but they are an amazing experience in regards to showcasing your film, meeting the audience, but also meeting fellow uh, filmmakers. And I think that's the best bit. Mm -hmm. You're out there and you're at a film festival. And I was in South Korea and I was at a, 
a fantasy film festival. I don't know how my film about extreme metal in Afghanistan <laughs> got into a fantasy film festival, but it did. And you don't you don't ask questions. You just go, yeah. oh, cool, I'm going. Did you and seek and that out or did you they over, They put you? you up and all that. That's great. No, they, they contacted me. It's just That's like, so okay, weird. cool. You want my film? <laughs> Take it. Yeah. But the cool thing was the, the, the one guy that I created a friendship there with was a guy who made a film about uh, a Christmas apocalypse zombie film. So nothing to do with what I, my film was about, <laughs> yeah. but we connected and became friends. And I went and saw his film where Santa Claus was a zombie, you know, eating brains. And he went and saw my film about some dudes rocking out <laughs> in a Muslim country yeah. under, you know, terrorist attacks and suicide bombs. So like those two worlds kind of uh, intersected. And I think that's the yeah. beauty of film festivals that you get to, to meet different people um, and you get to see a lot of cool films. So, yeah. I'm not sure about the the life and the longevity of film festivals in the future. Of course, the big ones, the Tribeca's, the Sundance's, the Idfas and the Sheffields and all these kind of big documentary films, they'll survive, but it's the small ones and the medium-sized ones. Are they going to be able to compete with the Netflix and these other big platforms that are now just basically going from release onto platform and yeah. the cinema, that little sort of pit in the middle is, is, is a lot of time being bypassed, which is it really is. sad. Yeah, it is sad. Um, and so that'll be, that'll be an interesting thing to watch in, 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 the, in, the, in the coming future, how, how we sort of navigate that, um, that process. Yeah. And I, you know, I like to believe, I don't have any data <laughs> off the top of my head to back this up, but I like to believe there are enough people out there who enjoy the experience of going to the cinema, the experience of going to a film festival, um, meeting the filmmakers, even just seeing the films on the big screen. Um, you know, unless you have a, a very nice house yeah. and home theater <laughs> projector projection set up, uh, there's nothing really quite like it with you know, the surround sound and that, just that experience of being in the theater. Um, I think there are enough people out there, at least I want to believe there are enough people yeah. out there that, that will survive going forward. Um, but it's really interesting because you're talking about it's film is such an interesting I mean, I guess every art form is commercialized, but film is so integrated with um business really it's it's you know the movie business uh so but you're looking at it really as the evolution of an art form you know you're not you're not projecting the film anymore it's now being consumed in a different kind of medium i think that's interesting in itself but um we're getting off on a tangent here a little more theoretical than i usually get but film festivals great it's fun (laughs) great experience um you know I, i i definitely recommend them so you can learn a lot too um you know you could have some interesting panels there and people speaking about their experiences. I mean, when I was coming up with the idea for the film fund and doing research on it, I went to film festivals and would just talk to the filmmakers. Like, hey, like, what were some of the problems you encountered when you were trying to get funding for this? Or how did you fund it? How did people even fund short films? So I learned so much. And I, I always, even if you're not in the film festival, you know, you can still go to them as an audience member. Um, just check them out. It's, it's, it's a great experience. If you had advice for our community of filmmakers, yeah. what would you say? whether it's film festival related or just you know filmmaking in general i mean the current film i'm making now about afghanistan came from my q a's when i was doing the last film because people asked me like you know you, you you had this band you gave them instruments you mentored them you gave them a studio you put them on the stage it kind of looks like you created the band hmm. and it's a very good question so was it a really a documentary or did you manifest this into a story? And that's what my now film is about. Mm-hmm. I'm questioning 
the role the West had in Afghanistan over the last 20 years. Now that the Taliban has taken control, we have to question our role as so-called nation mm. builders. And this is what it's all about, questioning. We have to question. And not just question your character or your politician, but also question yourself because you yourself are part of that process. You are part of the equation, your eye, your ear, your brain, when you enter that room. I, I always use documentary mm -hmm. as my example because that's the world I live in. Um, so when I was in North Korea or when I was in Afghanistan, as soon as you walk in a room and you turn that camera wow. on, everything changes. It mm -hmm. just, that's the, way hum that's the way humans are. Unless you have a hidden camera or a very small camera, like the camera I used in North Korea, a lot of the time, the camera actually changes the results. And so you really have to question, what is my sort of perspective and my position in this scenario, this environment? Now, if you get to know your characters well enough, you spend enough time with your characters, then they relax, and they don't mm -hmm. mind having that camera around, and they'll be more candid. And that's obviously a, a, an easy sort of, um, not easy, but a, a, a trick that you can use to to get the the verite, to get the, the veracity of, of a scene. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the time we don't have that option. We just come in and we're, oh, look, something's happening, press record, capture it and that. So uh, in the, there's, there's an art to learning how to be in mm -hmm. an environment as a filmmaker. And that's what yeah. you don't really learn in the university. Mm -hmm. You learn that from making films. You got to be there, and 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 your posture, and the way you hold the camera, or the way you're interacting, just with your eye contact with that character, while your camera is down at a lower height, you know, around your hip, whatever it is, that is really important mm -hmm. to get that successful shot that you're looking for. You don't get that all the time. Maybe you've got a really good tutor or lecturer in your university but most of the time they're reading mm -hmm. from a book or from you know a screen and it's only when you're actually out in the field and you're using that camera and you're trying to break that barrier between you know the the politeness of i've got a camera and you're in front of the lens to an engagement where your audience has sorry not your audience your character has forgotten the cameras there and there's a direct mm -hmm. connection between you and that character, yeah. that's when you get the gold. And that's when you get what makes a really good film. And that's why when I was in North Korea, you know, I had this tiny camera. I kept it down low, so down here on my hip. And I would converse or I would I – mean, and I would try and capture what I thought was real life. And obviously we've already talked about, you know, what I was seeing – um, but instead of holding the camera up high or sticking it in someone's face when I was trying to film, I hoped that I would get something a bit mm -hmm. more real. Now, obviously, what is real and what is not real in North Korea is another whole discussion. But this is just my little bit of advice for Yeah, filmmakers. I think that's super helpful. And I, I love that you're a self-taught filmmaker, especially on the documentary side of the industry, too, because a lot of, I mean, all of my experience, really, I mean, I've done, done interviews and corporate, you know, productions and things like that, but um, most of my experience is narrative. So, you know, getting advice from someone who is a doc an experienced documentary filmmaker, especially a self-taught one, is just invaluable. And I, I think the, the lesson of connecting with your subject, with your character, um, on a real level, you know, how, like you said, how real can you get in North Korea, but on a real level uh, is just super important. And that's maybe something you wouldn't learn in, in film school. Because I imagine, you know, unless you're in a program that's specifically geared toward documentary filmmaking, they're going to be, 
you know, more on the technical side of things, maybe more on the film theory side of things. Um, you're not going to get that kind of person to person interaction all the time. And, and unless you're making a, a real documentary. So I think that's a super awesome bit of advice you gave. Thank you. And uh, <laughs> my next question is a complete plug for the film fund that we usually do. We're going to skip it because you already said what you love about the film fund and how simple it is. So thank you so much for those kind words. <laughs> we're not going to be, we're not going to beat it to death. Um, what is uh, next for you? You said you're, you're finishing the, the North Korean film. Also, do you have a title for it? You'd be comfortable releasing it or are you holding on that? Yeah. So the North Korean, North Korean film is called Grandeur in Isolation. Okay. Cool. Grand Juror, J-U-R-O-R. Grand Juror of, 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 of... Yes. Okay. Grand Juror as in like the, 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 the Grand Juror of, 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 of how North Korea mm -hmm. sees itself in a very isolated, uh, you know, existence. Gotcha. Um, I love that. But besides that, I'm making my second film about Afghanistan, which is called The Watch All The Time. And there is a website you can go to, thewatchallthetime.com. And uh, we have funding for this one. So we are hey, in post-production. There you go. And um, there you go. See, sometimes you can get <laughs> it right. Um, and we are now um, finishing this film. We shot this film uh, in, in March this year. Okay. But also we shot it over the last uh, seven years of living in Afghanistan. Oh, wow. And basically this film, we questioned the role of the West in Afghanistan over the last 20 years. This so-called nation-building what it was and, uh, you know, was it worth it? Because now the Taliban are back in control. So we're really mm -hmm. questioning the model of what the West does when they go into these countries and try to um, employ democracy and, and, and create these new civil societies. I don't have the answers, but I have seven really good characters awesome. that we have on camera. And you're asking the questions. That tell us their perspective. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the good thing is, and it goes back to my previous point, I know all these characters because I knew them all from Afghanistan. Mm. So I had a relationship. So when I walked into the already room comfortable. and did these interviews, I didn't have to get to know them. Right. We already knew each other. There was hugs when we first met and we mm. went straight into the questions. And some of these questions are quite hard because we're asking ourselves, what were we doing there? Mm -hmm. What was the point? We spent $1.9 trillion dollars. Uh, 3,000 American lives were lost. 300,000 Afghan lives were lost. Wow. What were we thinking? Um, and so it's a, it's a pretty hard-hitting, dry uh, sort of uh, bunch of questions. And my, my, uh, my cohort, as we call them, and the cohort's very varying. We have Westerners. We have Afghans. We have people that lived in Afghanistan. We have people that still live in Afghanistan. We have um, diplomats. We have... Taliban, we have artists, oh, wow. we have journalists, we have a whole array of people that, um, you know, give their perspective on the last 20 years. And, and I hope that we're going to push society to question, will we do this again? Obviously, we all know what's happening in Ukraine at the moment. And when that war um, gets to a point where it's um, possible for the aid workers to go in and rebuild, Will we make the same mistakes we did in Afghanistan or will we do it differently? Mm. And this is what this film will hopefully help them for their next venture because we can't just keep building these nations and letting them collapse again. It's just, it's not helping the no. world. Um, and so, 
a bit like North Korea. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a thinking. Yes. Yeah. No, that sounds super, super <laughs> but, awesome. Um, uh, everybody yeah, check that out. We... And then we are coming up on time. We've got to keep this under an hour for Instagram, but Travis, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it, especially with the time difference. I know it's kind of the middle of the night there, so <laughs> I definitely appreciate it. Uh, what are you, do you have social media channels on which we can follow you? All good. All good. Thank you. Yeah, check out Not Before 12, so N-O-T-B-4-1-2. Um, so that's on Instagram, that's on Facebook, and cool. uh, somewhere else, I don't know. Um, there's also a website, notbefore12.com, and that's where you'll see all my film okay, stuff. Okay, sweet. We'll link to... Oh, and my, and my music Oh, yeah, there check as out well. your music. We didn't check talk about your music, music at all. Well. We might have to get you on the show again. You have so much going on. Um, thank you so much for coming again. Everybody, listen to... Thanks for listening to the podcast. I'm going to try to wrap this up. Uh, in the last two minutes we have. Check out our summer narrative and documentary contest. By the time this gets posted, I'm, I've been super slow. We're posting about once a month, but they may be open. They may be closed. Check the website for the most up-to-date information, thefilmfund.co. We have some amazing funding and sponsors there. Check out our blog, blog.thefilmfund.co for filmmaking and producing tips. Sign up for our newsletter. The newsletter is really the best way to get our updates uh, as well as social media. We're at the Film Fund on Instagram facebook.com slash film fund co twitter is at simply film fund and then linkedin is the plain old the film fund if you want to get your corporate networking on and if you hear some interesting music in the background that is my cell phone so i'm going to go we have an ebook too on the resources page check that out pre uh, guide to pre-production all these plugs okay we're done travis thank you so much again thank you everyone for listening is there anything else you want to add Keep making films. Keep asking questions. Awesome. Keep asking questions, everybody. And tune in every Friday. Well, not every Friday, but some Fridays once a month when we uh, when we play these episodes. Talk to everyone soon. Thanks. Bye.